Section 1 of The Major Symptoms of Hysteria. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Major Symptoms of Hysteria by Pierre Janet. Lecture 1 The Problem of Hysteria. The Interest and Importance of Studying Hysteria. The Philosophical and the Medical Point of View. Brief Account of the Evolution of the Studies about this Disease the necessity for the psychological study of the neuroses the psychological type of hysteria gentlemen president elliot and the professors of the great university of harvard have determined to celebrate the opening of the new buildings of your medical school by putting into practice a beautiful and great thought they have determined to invite to come among them foreign professors and have begged them to expose before you the ideas and teachings they give in other countries it is a mode of teaching which is very often used in american universities but unfortunately is rarely applied in france it may have the most beautiful results for the teaching of youth for the development of science and for the union of the various nations which is in our time the great aim of all true civilizations unhappily the application of this beautiful method is very difficult for all depends on the choice of that foreign professor called momentarily to teach among you no doubt i congratulate myself very much upon the choice which has been made it is for me a great honour it gives me an opportunity to see again a town of which i am very fond and to try to diffuse among you some ideas to which i hold but i dare not congratulate you upon this choice for i am afraid my ignorance of your methods of teaching and above all my ignorance of your tongue will make these lectures very hard to understand and very painful to hear first i make you my apologies then i wish you may overcome this bad luck and forget as much as possible the incorrectness and strangeness of my language this done let us all do our best you to understand me tolerably well and to draw from these lectures some notions of what interests french students i to speak nearly intelligible english and to give you as favourable an impression as possible of the psychological study of nervous diseases in the french universities one with the approval of president elliot and of professor james j putnam i have chosen as the subject of these lectures the study of that nervous and mental disease called hysteria the reason of this choice is that from many points of view this study seems to me pretty well to answer the wish of the professors who called me when a foreign professor is asked to express his ideas in another country he is expected to expose one of the most characteristic studies of his native land just as when we have landed in a new country we seek to taste the dishes that characterize its cookery well it seems to me that what has been most characteristic in france for a score of years in the study of nervous diseases is the development of pathological psychology no doubt the clinic and anatomic study of these same diseases is very honorably represented by french names but this study has developed in the same way in other countries and i think you have not much for which to envy us in this matter psychological studies properly so called especially the studies of psychological measures have developed in germany and in america more than in france and it is not here near professor munsterberg's laboratory that it would be well to come and deliver a lecture on this subject but it seems to me that in france under the influence of two of my masters whose names i like to recall charcot and professor ribot was realized an interesting union between two studies which were for the most part separated before beautiful natural experiences have been borrowed from mental pathology which strongly illuminate the problems of psychology 
on the other hand notions of experimental psychology have been made use of in order to understand and sometimes to treat patients mental disturbances i should be happy to make you feel how interesting is this new study which seems to me to have very good prospects among these studies of pathological psychology i determined on taking that of a particular nervous disease hysteria i think it is by this one that one should begin nowadays for this we have historical and scientific reasons look back to the time of the first works of charcot ribot and their pupils cast a glance at the innumerable works which twenty years ago determined that current of researchers remember the names of menet pitre paul richet charles richet binet Ferré, Marie, Grasset, Gilles de la Tourette, Brissot, and in foreign countries, of Delboeuf, Mebius, Breuer, Freud, Morton, Prince, etc. Remark what was, by a kind of singular common understanding, the subject of all their works. No doubt they seemed, like Professor Ribot, to speak of all possible mental diseases, and to seek for mental disturbances in all the forms in which they present themselves now and then it is true they devoted a few lines to idiocy or insanity but if you read their books again you will see that whatever the matter is maladie de la mémoire maladie de la volonté maladie de la personnalité they always speak of localized amnesias of alternating memory which in reality are only to be met among hysterical somnambulisms of irresistible suggestions hypnotic catalepsias which are as i will try to prove to you nothing but hysterical phenomena of total modifications of the personality divided into two successive or simultaneous persons which is again the dissociation of consciousness in the hysteric besides all these works pathological psychology owes very much to the considerable movement concerning hypnotism which took place during a few years it is certain that the works of charcot bernheim forel and so many others had the greatest influence on the development of this new science but now that the quarrels of other times are somewhat appeased everybody will probably recognize a fact which i hope also to be able to prove to you namely that in reality it is only among hysterical patients that this hypnotism is to be found in any marked degree i will not raise now the difficult problem of deciding whether all the people who can be hypnotized must be called hystericals but i believe almost every good observer will agree with me that the best studies about the clearest cases of artificially induced somnambulism and about its psychological properties were made on hysterical subjects consider even the somewhat adventurous authors who have sought to draw attention to particularly strange phenomena and who by the curiosity they have raised have had a share in the development of the same researches remember the studies on psychic polarization on transfer on marked points suggestions suggestion à point de repère on unconscious acts etc these studies have always had for their starting point hysteric phenomena as equivalences and anesthesias in a word if any interest is given to the development of that pathological psychology which has been growing these twenty years it ought to be recognized that this interest has for its object a special disease hysteria no doubt such exclusive fondness for this study was rather exaggerated and all the psychologists who for some time in imitation of the masters studied the hysteric were somewhat like the sheep of our panurge it was an exaggeration to think that pathological psychology could not be studied on other patients dr ferret was somewhat mistaken when he called hystericals the frogs of experimental psychology as in physiology the frog is not an absolutely necessary animal for our experiments so the hysteric patient is not the only one worthy of psychological researches
we are even certain today that the hysterics offer many drawbacks and many studies have been made on other diseases however it is true that there were certain practical reasons justifying this choice at the beginning of this kind of studies and these practical reasons are still the same for you the psychology of the hysteric patient though full of difficulties and obscurities is surely simple it is a question of measure all i want to say is that we are nowadays quite unable to understand to express in formulas and in laws what an insane person feels we can hardly connect together by general laws the different facts observed in melancholic delirium or in the delirium of persecution on the contrary the various accidents of hysteria though so different in appearance are easily brought close to one another owing to common characters we can dimly see some general laws about the formula for which we hesitate but of whose existence we have a suspicion that is after all the reason that explains the character of the discussion about hysteria nowadays while nobody endeavours to give or to discuss a general definition comprising all the phenomena of epilepsy or melancholia there are now a great number of authors who propose to explain in a few words in a single definition all the pathology of hysteria in short i was right in saying to you that the psychology of this disease seems now to be simpler than the conception of other mental diseases it is the reason why i told you that the psychology of this disease is simple to this primordial reason are added practical reasons the hysteric are patients who are easily managed who talk willingly who are not dangerous on whom we can experiment without any great fear and who lastly like to be observed and readily lend themselves to examination such are the reasons why the first studies were devoted to this kind of patients and in following the historical order we also follow the practical order which leads us to begin with the simplest and easiest disease two do not think however that this choice of the study of the hysteric is only justified by an historical chance and by reasons of convenience the study of these patients if happily it is a rather easy one is at the same time very important both from the philosophical and scientific and from the medical and practical point of view i am convinced that in our times every well-educated man wishing to have an opinion on moral and philosophical problems ought to know something of this singular mental disease for it has played a considerable part in the history of all religions and superstitions and it still plays a very important part in the most attractive moral questions a great french alienist moreau de tours was in the habit of saying that all the great things accomplished in the world have been accomplished by mad people it is perhaps somewhat exaggerated but it is nevertheless true that most great creeds have spread by means of the emotion caused by surprising phenomena which have always been due to hysteric people in the development of every great religion both in ancient and in modern times there have always been strange persons who raised the admiration of the crowd because their nature seemed to be different from human nature their manner of thinking was not the same as that of others they also had extraordinary oblivions or remembrances they had visions they saw or heard what others could not see or hear they were illumined by odd convictions not only did they think but they also felt in another way than the bulk of mankind they had an extraordinary delicacy of certain senses joined to extravagant insensibilities which enabled them to bear the most dreadful tortures with indifference or even with delight not only did they feel but they also lived otherwise than other people they could do without sleep or sleep for months together they lived without eating or drinking without satisfying their natural needs is it not such persons who have always excited the religious admiration of peoples whether sibyls prophets pythonesses of delphi or ephesus or saints of the middle ages or ecstatics or illuminates 
now they were considered as worthy of admiration and beatified now they were called witches or demoniacs and burnt but at the bottom they always caused astonishment and they played a great part in the development of dogmas and creeds well all these phenomena as you know already are the usual symptoms of hysteria and there is not from this point of view a disease which has played so great a part in history if i am not mistaken it is still exactly the same now we have changed only in appearance we beatify but few saints and we burn but few demoniacs yet we have not forgotten them they have become our somnambulists and mediums and every time we want to throw some light on the mysteries of our destiny to penetrate into the unknown faculties of the human mind to whom do we appeal whom do we take as a subject of observation is it an ordinary person a person in good health whom we ask to foresee the future or to talk with the dead no it is a neuropathic patient insensible to the things of this world but whose sensibility is overexcited in a certain direction medically speaking it is a hysteric person understand me well i do not mean at all to tell you that these studies are warped by this any more than i deny the sanctity of a personage of the middle ages whom i diagnosticate as hysteric a hysterical person may be a saint a hysterical person may have a wonderful lucidity that is undeniable i only want you to be warned of what happens when you have to judge facts of this kind when we have to appreciate facts which are out of our habitual observation and look wonderful it is a material point to know well in what conditions they present themselves now in the question we are considering one of these conditions the most serious one is the mental state of the persons in whom such facts are observable so you must know that such persons are hystericals and be accustomed to the laws ruling the minds of hystericals perhaps there may be some cases in which this ascertainment does not diminish the interest taken in the phenomenon but believe me it mostly takes away a great part of the wonderful to judge these moral and philosophical problems it is indispensable to study thoroughly this disease of the mind this remark is truer still if you consider the subject from a medical and practical point of view you who have chosen the medical career and will have to attend patients belonging to every class of society bear in mind that you will constantly meet with neuropathic phenomena connected with this group of neuroses and that you will commit the most dangerous mistakes if you are not very well accustomed to the aspects and evolution of hysteria it was the fashion for a certain time to say that hysteria was a very rare disease you know that it had a bad reputation that a kind of dishonor was attached to this word and that people tried to persuade themselves that this shameful disease was not of frequent occurrence by a kind of international irony people were willing to admit after the innumerable studies made by french physicians that hysteria was frequent only among french women which astonished nobody on account of their bad reputation do not believe this nonsense american women are terribly like french women i was not astonished therefore when two years ago at the chicago county hospital and at the boston city hospital some kind fellow physicians immediately showed me hysteric women humorously adding that they were quite the same as those of la salpetriere the difference of races is also one of those silly things which the human mind has much difficulty in getting rid of all civilized nations are now the same we have the same mind and the same body and it must be recognized the same miseries if the hysterical seemed to be less numerous in other countries it is first because physicians did not recognize them then because they would not give them their real appellation when medical instruction is more general in this matter when prejudices have vanished it will probably be acknowledged that in this matter as in many others 
the other nations have no reason for envying france so you will often meet with hysterical people you will call them neurasthenic for the family if you like i don't care i only wish that you should at least know what is the matter you must be able quickly to recognize this disease in order to foresee its evolution to provide against its dangers and immediately to begin a rational treatment this early diagnosis is much more important still from another point of view it will keep you allow me to tell you plainly from making blunders it is perhaps not very serious not to recognize a hysterical accident and not to treat it but what is always very serious is to mistake a hysterical accident for another one and to treat it for what it is not you cannot imagine the medical blunders and too often also the medical crimes committed in this way one of the greatest difficulties in the medical art and one of the greatest misfortunes of patients is that hysterical diseases are only well characterized from the moral point of view which usually is not examined at all that they are very badly characterized from the physical point of view and that they are uncommonly similar to all kinds of medical or surgical affections for which they are easily mistaken contractures paralyses anesthesias various pains especially when they are seated in the viscera may simulate anything and then you have the legion of false tuberculoses of the lungs of false tumours of the stomach of false intestinal obstructions and above all of false uterine and ovarian tumours what happens as to the viscera also exists as to the limbs and the organs of the senses some hysterical disturbances are mistaken for lesions of the bones of the rachis for muscular or tenderness lesions then the physician interposes frightens the family agitates the patient to the utmost and prescribes extraordinary diets perturbing the life and exhausting the strength of the sick person finally the surgeon is called in do not try to count the number of arms cut off of muscles of the neck incised for cricks of bones broken for mere cramps of bellies cut open for phantom tumors and especially of women made barren for pretended ovarian tumors humanity ought indeed to do homage to charcot for having prevented a greater depopulation these things no doubt have decreased but they are still done every day not long ago i saw a patient who had had an eye excised and the optic nerve cut out for mere neuropathic pains if i could only by calling your attention and interest to the knowledge of this disease contribute to diminish the number of these medical crimes i should already have attained a very important result three in order to be able to enter upon the study of hysteria in a profitable way allow me before i end the introduction to summarize in a few words the history of the studies which have been made on this disease we are not isolated in our studies we come after generations of other students and we always ought before we begin our own researches to try to see our way exactly we ought to see at what point of medical history we are standing what has been done and well done before us what we have not to begin again we ought to realize the difficulties that stopped our predecessors in order to add our efforts to theirs and to make some steps forward in the way they have laid down for us the history of these studies would be a very long one for they began in the remotest antiquity democritus already has his theory about hysteria but i think that we can summarize this long history in a few words by establishing a few great divisions and i propose to you to adopt three great divisions at first this history was anecdotical and descriptive it is a period of curiosity and of somewhat uneasy and uncritical admiration it is the period of sibyls witches convulsionists of all kinds and of miscellanies of surprising facts about convulsions somnambulisms resurrections of lethargic people extraordinary fastings miraculous wounds etc 
the second period which in reality began very late only in the nineteenth century might be called the clinical period then physicians sought above all to give a medical character to this disease to distinguish it from other maladies and to recognize the phenomena that appertain to it it is a kind of clearing away and classification the third period which is quite contemporary deserves to be called the psychological period for right or wrong it is among mental phenomena that for these thirty years the interpretation has been sought of these innumerable phenomena which our first ancestors had only described and which their successors contented themselves with classifying later perhaps there will come an anatomical and physiological period but in my opinion it does not yet exist a word only about each of these great stages in the first it is sufficient to remind you of the names of plato hippocrates celsus Gallienus, Aetius, of the authors who, in the Middle Ages, described possessions, careers, epidemics of Tarentism. Among them are Ambroise Paré and Fernel. A little later we have to cite Charles Le Poix, who gave in the 17th century one of the best descriptions. Sydenham, who made known the hysterical nail, coughing, vomiting and edema. Rollin, 1758, who supported the opinion of Sydenham and was one of the first to maintain that there were hysteric men wit seventeen sixty seven sauvage seventeen sixty astruc seventeen sixty one and pomme seventeen sixty to seventeen eighty two who discussed this strange problem this descriptive period was in fact disturbed by a puerile and dangerous conception which vitiated all the studies and made any attempt at an interpretation impossible you know the old reverie of plato in the timaeus the matrix is an animal which longs to generate children when it remains barren for a long time after puberty it finds it difficult to bear it feels wrath it goes about the whole body closing the issues for the air stopping the respiration putting the body into extreme dangers and occasioning various diseases until desire and love bringing man and woman together make a fruit and gather it as from a tree this pretty little story was for half a score of centuries the only interpretation of hysteria and still originated all the foolish ideas expressed by louis de villermé in eighteen sixty you may guess the part played in this respect by the abdominal pains seated at the level of ovaries by the movements of the hysterical nail by the suffocations of the patients during their fits as hysteria required an uterus its existence was not admitted in men and the first serious discussions bore on the existence of masculine hysteria the recognition of this disease in men changed the old conception of hysteria and determined an ensemble of more precise clinical researches without pretending to any chronological precision we place at the beginning of the nineteenth century the inauguration of the second and truly clinical period it is sufficient to remind you of the names of georget eighteen twenty one of Hufeland in germany eighteen thirty six of brachet and of Londouzy in france eighteen forty five of duchenne de boulogne eighteen fifty five of le grand du Soul, eighteen sixty but i must insist on the beautiful book of the english physician brodie eighteen thirty seven who described the sensitive and motor disturbances in the articulations and who has given his name to an hysterical accident the knee of brodie we must accord a good place to the work of briquet eighteen fifty nine it was the first general work of real value and it prepared the way for the contemporary studies lastly you know that the most eminent representative of that period is charcot who in every way gave more precision to the clinical knowledge of hysteria 
with these studies are connected the distinction between the epileptic and the hysterical fit which was for a long time considered impossible the diagnosis of apoplexies cerebral lesions meningitis of hysterical mutisms and fits of sleep the separation between hysterical anorexies gastralgias and dyspneas and the organic diseases which are apparently seated in the same viscera it is chiefly to the patient studies of our predecessors that we owe the discovery and diagnosis of the different motor accidents of hysteria of the articular disturbances analogous to the knee of brodie of the contractures of the paralyses limited to one limb discussions relating to these motor accidents their comparison with the diverse organic paralyses researches on the traumatic neuroses filled as you know the career of charcot in all these studies there was no room yet for an interpretation of the disease and charcot felt thoroughly the necessity of an interpretation of this kind it was indispensable not only in order to explain things apparently mysterious but chiefly to give a unity capable of linking together those innumerable symptoms that looked so heterogeneous la Segue had already said that manifestations apparently the most disorderly have not the individual character one supposes and they are not inexplicable exceptions nothing is left to chance said charcot on the contrary all happens according to rules always the same common to private and hospital practice applicable to all countries to all times to all races he naturally sought to discover this determinism and these general laws of hysteria carried along by his habits as a clinician he has i think sought these general laws too much in the physiological domain which led him to a certain number of regrettable errors in opposition to his school other studies and in particular those of m bernheim in nancy have shown that this unity of hysteria this interpretation of the symptoms it presents would be much more surely found in the domain of the moral phenomena the contest of the two schools was the occasion of the development of psychological pathology of which i have spoken to you and brought on the beginning of the third period the psychological period of the studies in hysteria this period which has already lasted for about twenty years is still difficult to judge it seems to me however that its first clear results though interesting are still very incomplete and that i ought to warn you against their attractive simplicity a certain number of authors have been seduced by the psychological explanation it seemed to them that the mere words moral and thought were enough to explain everything and as people generally like simple explanations physicians are too disposed nowadays to be content with a vaguely mental explanation hysteria they say is a psychic disease it is the disease of suggestion taken in a vague sense it consists in disturbances which the patients persuade themselves that they have it is the disease of persuasion many physicians think that when they have expressed a few formulas of this kind nothing remains to be said there is some truth in this view for it brings into relief the psychic character of the affection but it is quite insufficient we should in my opinion retain something of the precise method of charcot of the search after the determination and the laws of hysteria and apply it only to the psychological fact instead of always seeking for this determinism in physical facts we must therefore use a certain preciseness in the description and study of the moral phenomena of hysteria the description of such a disease is very difficult first because the symptoms are exceedingly numerous you know that formerly sydenham called it a proteus an ever-changing malady but the description is also difficult because the disease is not clearly defined because its limits unfortunately are very vague 
it is easy to see that many contemporary authors do not quite agree about what they describe under the name of hysteria and that some have a much broader conception of the disease than others this indecision generally surprises young people you think that in science things are perfectly definite and you are very much astonished to find indecision in your masters in reality definiteness does not exist in natural phenomena it exists but in our systematic descriptions it is the men of science who cut separate pieces out of a whole that nature has made continuous do you believe that animal species are sharply distinguished from one another look at the quarrels of naturalists about the limits of the classes about the animals of transition which may at will be connected with one class or another remember the doctrine of evolution and the origin of species of darwin all this is still truer in regard to diseases which in reality have not the distinctness we invent physicians it is true may agree in certain cases when there is a distinctly visible objective phenomenon characterizing such or such a lesion histologic analysis will serve to define a syphilitic lesion in other cases the presence of a microscopic organism will be a guiding mark and the recognition of the bacillus of koch will define a tuberculous lesion but unfortunately we have nothing of the kind at our disposal to define the diseases of the mind save the case of general paralysis there is no anatomical means to distinguish a patient laboring under the mania of persecution from the one who is affected with melancholia or neuropathy when you have found the microbe of hysteria you will be able to transform all my descriptions and to make them much more accurate nowadays there is evidently a hypothetic conventional part in the description and definition of a mental disease nobody i think felt so clearly the necessity of such hypotheses and conventions as charcot when he exposed what he called the method of types when one wishes to describe a nervous disease one must not fancy that one may comprise in its description all possible subjects there are always some indistinct phenomena some aberrant cases some contradictory symptoms in this case if one tried to satisfy everybody one would satisfy nobody by seeking to be too true one would be unintelligible one must determine on making a necessary hypothesis which characterizes the teaching and the opinion of a master one must choose among the innumerable cases of the disease that which in one's personal experience appears to be the most important that which presents the most definite phenomena the most distinct from other maladies the most frequent with patients of the same kind the most intelligible this patient becomes a type which one describes by preference though one knows very well that all the others are not absolutely like it but because one supposes that they deserve the same name in the measure in which they resemble it this is what i shall try to do before you in describing the major symptoms of hysteria this word major indicates well that i do not pretend to describe all possible hystericals or all the shades these symptoms may present but that i only wish to show you what in my hypothesis characterizes the typical symptoms of hysteria such symptomatic and hypothetic descriptions have the inconvenience of being transitory of disappearing very soon after us but it would be a singular illusion to seek to do something eternal one has already obtained a great result when one has done something momentarily intelligible and useful charcot whose method i cited to you applied it in a rather exaggerated degree in his description of hysteria he described a type of hysterical which disappeared with him nobody nowadays any longer describes the attack of hysteria as charcot did i think however that his description did service to many a generation of students it brought about an enormous scientific movement which we continue by discussing it no doubt our types of hysterical phenomena are ephemeral like his 
we wish they may have the same usefulness for some time if i succeed in presenting to you a few simple types intelligible for you of the mental state that is called somnambulism of the mental state that brings about the functional paralyses and insensibilities i shall i hope have interested you in these studies of pathological psychology indispensable nowadays to the understanding of philosophical and moral problems i shall have helped you a little to play later on your part as physicians for a physician should attend to the thought of his patient i shall thus have accomplished partially at least the wishes formed by your masters of harvard school when they did me the great honour to call me among them End of section 1